Hi, I'm Mandy Learn. And I'm Stephanie Keeley. Thank you for joining us for Women Who Work. Before we start the episode, we wanted to remind you to follow, rate, and review the podcast so more listeners like you will find us. You can also help your colleagues and friends join the conversation by sharing this episode with your networks. Now, let's get to it. Diversity, equity, and inclusion, right? Why do we want multiple people with different perspectives at the table? Because we know the value in that. How many blind spots are you all of a sudden able to see when you have people looking at it from all these different directions? But if those people don't feel like they belong, they cannot actually bring those perspectives to the table in a safe space. Welcome back. We love gathering each month to discuss the essentials for leading in life and career. Why do we always talk about both? Because as women who work, we just can't separate the two. Yeah. So in each episode, we challenge ourselves to bring you real conversations about the real things that women are facing in the world of work today. And you have a place in this conversation. In this episode, we are talking about in-office culture. You know, cubicle location, thermostat wars, the smell of tuna lingering in the post-lunch hallways. Gross. (laughs) (laughs) Do you remember those times with rose-colored glasses? Yes? No? Well, they might be here to stay. They might come back. They might be gone. We'll talk about it. And we also have an interview with Chelsea Burns, applied psychologist and marketer with a passion for elevating women. Chelsea speaks with us today in this episode as a researcher of belonging. So let's dive in. All right. So this episode is airing the day before Valentine's. And so we just want to say to our Galentine's, (laughs) Happy Valentine's Day. (laughs) But Valentine's always reminds me a little bit when I think about work life. Um, I had one office culture that was so fun where every holiday was celebrated and we would pass out Valentine's at people's desks and people would have a dish of candy that you could go around and grab from. And it just got me thinking about how in-office culture can be so fun, and it's something that I kind of miss. Yeah. And I think it's really important, obviously, to have such a great positive culture. Um, If you're spending your time, you know, eight hours a day, five days a week somewhere, you want it to be good. You want it to be fun and positive. But it also can be kind of tricky sometimes, too. Yeah, there's been, I've been in a few office culture situations that, you know, they're just little quirks and weird things that actually set the tone. Like small things make a really big impact, I think, especially in a smaller office. Yeah. Um, You've got the people who like don't want any noise. Right. Yes. Close their doors. Their doors are closed all the time. Yeah. They side eye you if you, you know, <laughs> or have look a at conversation. Your watch. <laughs> yes. yes. Or look yeah. at their watch like, oh, you're leaving now. <laughs> oh yeah. You come yeah. in late and they're like, mm-hmm. noted. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 So um, I think there's good and bad. And also I think, you know, we talk about 
culture and how important culture is to work. Work culture is, is I think, a bit bigger than just that in-office stuff that, you know, we think about the fun, like the party or whatnot. Like there can be groups that have a toxic culture that, Mm -hmm. you know, celebrate the holidays or bring in potlucks every now and then. I think, you know, there's, there is that distinction there, but so much of the history of work has, has really reflected on what it was like to be in an office. Because you can't get much culture sitting in your at-home office or at-home office space, right? Yes. <laughs> it's you and a party. It's a party of one. <laughs> exactly. It's whatever <laughs> I want to decorate with and right. talk to my dog, right. you know? You said office space, which reminds me of the ultimate oh my office gosh. culture movie yes. of the n- late 1990s office yep. space, which is really personified the like mundane day-to-day cubicle yeah yes life which personified work for a good bit I think it speaks to a generation for sure (laughs) yes it does speak to a generation so if we're on the topic of talking about office culture and what it's like and what culture means in person yeah I think it's so interesting to talk about this particular topic because I have begun to hear a lot of things from my own friends, from my own networks, and reading a bunch of articles and seeing what's going on in the news that, guess what? (laughs) I don't think remote work is here to stay anymore. It seems like there are more and more companies that are mandating employees get back to the office. Stephanie, are you seeing and hearing the same things? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I am. Yeah, a close friend of mine, I think it was right around the start of the school year. So back in September of last year, that same big company said, you need to primarily be back in the office. So they still do one day a week from home, but the rest of the days you're in the office. And it's like, reg, you know, back to regular set work hours and you are there. Yeah, I think that this is going to be, I know this is going to be a big, big challenge for a lot of people, especially so, you know, when we think about it, when the pandemic hit, everybody had to be remote, right? You're all, everybody was working from home and everybody realized, hey, look, I can be productive and work from home. I don't have to be in the office five days a week. And, you know, I think this had been, people have been advocating this for a long time, even before the pandemic, as a way to, for women to advance in their career. Because let's face it, women do need the, and what does remote work mean? It gives people flexibility, right? And and women really truly need that flexibility because more often than not, they are the ones that are still taking care of families at home, whether they're children, older parents, whatnot. And so when the pandemic hit, that seemed to be like a really big silver lining as we have proven that this works and women want it. And not only women, men take advantage of it as well. So this just looked like it was going to be, you know, really something that was here to stay. And mm-hmm. yeah, it um, seems like the way of work changed. Yeah, right. Forever. For sure. That's yeah. what it felt like in the in the midst of it all. You know, a year ago, I would say we were saying this is the way of work. Yeah. Even if it was a hybrid situation where you were coming in a couple days a week, but it was not 
you know, had not been talked about yet as a full return to office work. And I feel like that has definitely been changing in the past couple months where big, large companies are mandating come back in the office. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yes, we we have proven that remote work can work, but also I think there's another side of the coin that we really didn't realize or even want to explore a little bit. But Yes, the flexibility is key for women, but also and I think that missing out on on physically being in an office and losing that visibility hurts women too. So it I agree. Now, yeah, and we're now learning and I get that. I've worked from uh, remotely for a long time now. So I understand that there is that lack of collaboration, you know, you just cannot stay connected um, as well and have that sense of belonging to a team and office to your purpose. Um, That definitely suffers for sure. You know, we talked about the women in the workplace results and we talked about how, you know, you have to have that FaceTime with senior leaders. A lot of senior leaders are in the office. And as we know, many senior leaders are men. And right. so it's like, right. we have to, we do need to have some FaceTime. We do need to be in the know. We need to be able to, as leaders, we need to be able to rally our teams and you mm-hmm. can do that remotely, but also there's all these pulls. I mean, I think this is such a nuanced topic because yeah, absolutely flexibility is so important for the modern employee. We know mm-hmm. that for men and women, flexibility mm-hmm. is highly valued over like yeah. healthcare benefits. It's crazy, yeah. you know, yeah. but there's also this in some ways being completely remote, like is such a challenge for individuals because there's always that load of laundry to do mm-hmm. looming, you know, it's like mm-hmm. that pull of like, oh, I should, well, I'm here. I should be able to prep a dinner or throw in a load of laundry or get one thing done or not put my, make myself perfectly presentable for the work day or whatever the waist up. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Whatever the temptation is, that's kind of keeping us from that real focus and ability to have high productivity. So I, and yet we also have seen that productivity is at great levels yeah. in this remote world. So again, I think it's so nuanced. There's there's these pros and cons, but certainly, as you said, there is this return to yeah. the office in a very full way. And yeah. it kind of feels shocking for a lot of people. Oh, for sure. I was just speaking with somebody earlier this week and she has to return to work after three years of being at home by March 5th. And, you know, there's some real life consequences that are happening with us. And for example, she, and this is not just this particular company, this is happening to all of the big organizations that shed real estate because they simply mm-hmm. didn't need the office space those three years. Mm-hmm. And now they're requiring people to come back to work, but there's no space for them. There's Where are not we going to put them? Where, where are they going to park? They got rid of parking lots, et cetera, parking spaces. And so, you know, there is now all of a sudden this, it's a, I think it's going to be very stressful for a lot of people to guess what, you know, like during the pandemic, it was like all the time we were just 
we were just changing to different situations and backing, you know, just bouncing back and forth and never really having any consistency. And, you know, change was the word of the day. And here we are, we're about to upheave a, um, people's work lives again. And I think there's going to be, you know, it's going to be really difficult, I think. Yeah. Just from what so. I'm hearing from people that this is affecting, you know, everybody's making decisions based on what they think that their current situation is, right? Yeah. Like a friend of mine who whose husband took a bigger role that required travel. And the reason why he took it was because she was able to have flexibility because she was remote and now she has to go back into work. So what does that mean for them? That's going to be yeah. really difficult. Yeah. You know, and like her work stays the same, but going into the office means again that really that more rigid time when well, i guess i guess yeah. that's part of the nuances as companies are calling people back to the physical office is there still going to be that allowance for and kind of celebration of flexibility of time you know right. I, and which is a big part of flexibility is not just where you work but when you work right so is it implied that when we go back to the office we now need to be there from eight to six you know right. like what what is what's the expectation is that changing too because even um child care times changed post pandemic, you know, yep. childcare that opened at 7am. So people could get to their offices by eight. Mm -hmm. A lot of them now don't open until 730. Yeah. And that's a big difference if you're commuting. So, you know, the world changed a bit. And the way we work changed all all these things affect the, the modern employee. And there will always be remote workers because this global workforce and so many companies will continue to value that they can find great employees who don't live where their headquarters is. And so yeah. we will always have people working remotely. But I think you're right. If you're in if you're in those headquarters locations, you're you're going to be going back. And what's interesting is yeah. I found I found some as I was doing a little research on this that the physical office is changing. So again kind of back to that fun cubicle days, you know, then we kind of wiped out and did more shared spaces and we said, okay, down mm -hmm. with the giant walls of cubicles. Right. And we want these big shared spaces. So a lot of offices reorged and made lots of big open community spaces. And now after working <laughs> at home and we're like, we need some privacy, we need a place to work. I want some quiet. I need my own space. The cubicle is returning. Yeah. And it's so funny because it's just these pendulum swings of like, no cubicles, they're awful. And then now we're like, give me my cubicle and I'm going right. to make it cute. <laughs> right. Yes. Yes. And that's another, I think, aspect of this conversation is organizations and companies have to rethink how they build out their their places of work. Tech sector is known for having this really cool, fun office spaces. You got ping pong, foosball, you know, <laughs> beers on tap and bean bags. And, you know, they're they're known for that kind of very non-traditional culture. But when it comes down to it, You've got to give your employees a space where they can be and feel like they're productive. And yeah. that, and I find it interesting that that architecture and design of these spaces are is changing again. Yeah. Like, for example, I think, you know, instead of the sky high cubicles, you know, now they're lowering the walls where, yes. you know, you can see like half yes. a person's face, right? Like, so it, you're not completely 
separated from people, but you have enough privacy and enough space. They're soundproofing these walls. So you don't hear all these conversations and you yourself can have some privacy too. So from that aspect, I think it's interesting to see kind of the, with the new layout. um, Oh yeah. It's fascinating. And it's just a good, it's a perfect um, example of economies and culture and all of demand 2020 and 2021 we were like oh office space owners and office equipment and all of that all these people are not going to have a job or need to get into a new industry and then here we are you know three years later and we're saying oh actually you're back (laughs) you're back we need we need more space. We need more. Um, we need a different design in the in the room, and it's it's interesting. So I think then what really the past three years have have taught us is that change is inevit- inevitable, right? Like that is the constant. Change is the constant. <laughs> yes, it right? is. It is the only constant is change. And I guess that's where our own adaptation comes. And, you know, hopefully though, from a, you know, thinking about, I always think about the employee side and I, so what I hope that companies will do is have those good open conversations between leaders and team members about what they need in order to make this change happen. You know, that how are we supporting you to make it possible for you to return to the office? What kind of resources can the company provide or what kind of flexibility can I give you in order to make this happen instead of just these blanketed return, no excuses, done? You know, I hope that we've opened up lines of communications and and clarified the value of flexibility and kind of those EQ, emotional support for our teams Mm -hmm. so that employees really can come back with full productivity and creativity and all of all of the things that are needed for the workplace amidst these physical changes. I'm so glad that you brought that up because I think it's really important that you do have a conversation with your supervisor. If yeah. your manager supervisor doesn't come to you voluntarily to ask these questions like, what do you need? What can we do? I know this is challenging. I want to work with you. Then you're going to have to take the responsibility and having that conversation if it is that important to you and how you need to be able to work in order for your work to make your life work. (laughs) Yeah. So, and sometimes we don't want to do that. Sometimes we don't want to have to take that initiative, but it is your responsibility, you know, work with HR or whatever avenues that you have with your company internally, go make it work for you. Because at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's about what you need. Mm-hmm. And you have to, ask, and sometimes you have to ask it for it. It's not going to be given to you. You absolutely should ask for it. And it shows gumption. It, it shows interest and it's a good thing. Just go have those conversations. Yeah, right. Definitely. Yep. So today in our interview, we're talking about belonging. And I certainly think that there is this connection between this in-office culture and belonging. Mandy, you mentioned it earlier about how being in an office gives you more resource in terms of collaboration and connection. You're physically with a group of people and can, you know, whether whether or not you're, they're your favorite colleagues or not, there is a group of people you can connect to. And that does have this tie-in with belonging. Yeah, I think it definitely is an aspect to the overall culture of work. 
Okay, so let's get to what Chelsea Burns has to say about belonging. She is an applied psychologist and marketer with a passion for elevating women. In her graduate thesis, A Sense of Belonging, Understanding the Female Entrepreneur's Connection to Self and Others, she uncovers the power of belonging. The combination of her psychological insights and research findings empower other women with a framework for how to enhance their holistic selves through belonging. Chelsea has a Master of Science in Applied Psychology. She's currently working as the Director of Marketing and Branding in Wichita, Kansas, and she serves as the Community and Belonging Lead for Future Women X and volunteers as a mentor for Rally, sponsored by The Mom Project. Hi, Chelsea, and welcome to the Women Who Work podcast. Hi, Stephanie. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I'm excited about it too. The core of your work is around that crossroads between the individual person and the group. You focused on the concept of belonging within business. So tell us about belonging. What does it mean in this context? Yeah, I think that's a really great place to start because language is one of those tricky things, right? Like it's so helpful in communication, but at the same time, it's so contextual and Mm. we're starting to see belonging show up everywhere. It's getting tacked on to things. And and this is great, but for today's conversation, we're really focused on belonging as a psychological construct. And so what that means is that it's this idea of being able to show up authentically as who you are and feeling accepted and not just feeling accepted, but feeling safe enough to be able to kind of challenge the status quo and, you know, see things through your own perspective. And you're absolutely right. There is this crossroads between the self and the the collective. And I do see a tendency for us as human beings to just want to jump to that collective. But in order to show up authentically, you have to be self-aware enough to know what that version of you is. And so throughout this conversation, you'll probably feel me kind of pull us back up out of the collective into the higher level. And from there, we can dig back down into what belonging really looks and feels like both individually as an, as a whole. Mm, That makes a lot of sense. So kind of saying, you know, belonging, a lot of times we think about as the responsibility of the group or the responsibility of leadership. And what you're saying is it starts with us. It always starts with us. Well, I do want to talk about the collective before we end today and talk about, you know, you mentioned it's belongings tacked on with other things now, especially we hear it a lot with diversity, equity, Mm -hmm. and inclusion efforts. And I'd love to get your take on that. But before we do that, because you said it starts with us, let's let's talk about it from that perspective and kind of why why we need to do that work. Why is it so important for businesses and business owners to think about belonging? This goes pretty far back, actually. You're going to find belonging and Freud's 1930s work, you know, where he's, he's already pointing out that we have this need as human beings to belong. It's going to progress into the sixties with Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And it's, you know, I think it's in that second, third tier and it's, it's present, but where it's really evolved is how much belonging, which seems like this unmeasurable, intangible thing is actually directly affecting our physiology. It's affecting our cognitive processing. It affects how fast we heal, how fast we bond and so many other constructs. So 
the other important piece here is we do have still this pyramid idea in mind and this idea that, well, we, we have to have water check. We have to have food check to have shelter check. Oh, then we can have belonging. And what we know is that that's not how our lives are. Um, we do not live in a linear world. We live in a very uh, uh, cyclical, almost, shall I say, spiral-esque type of world where we come in and out of these different phases. And so even if we're hungry or even if we're homeless, we still have this core central need to belong. To start with it within is really important. And I'm going to quote Brene Brown here because who's not going to quote Brene, Brene Brown when you're talking about belonging, but you know, she recently said the opposite of belonging is fitting in. And I think that really challenges us in some ways because we start to make these assumptions that if we're belonging, we're fitting in, but fitting in really means you're thinking about how you have to change who you are or present a certain part of yourself to show up and belonging does not involve that. It, it, it involves really owning who you are and what you are in the space and knowing that you have worth there. You won't be kicked out for being authentically you. Exactly. Exactly. And think about the value that you get when, and I'm sure we'll dig into this later, but diversity, equity, and inclusion, right? Why do we want multiple people with different perspectives at the table? Because we know the value in that. How many blind spots are you all of a sudden able to see when you have people looking at it from all these different directions? But if those people don't feel like they belong, they cannot actually bring those perspectives to the table in a safe space. Mm. And so it's not just a statistic. It's do you have a space and environment and atmosphere that supports them and really empowers them to feel worth in their perspectives? Mm -hmm. So what you're saying is, even if we've got diversity, that if there's a lack of belonging, it doesn't do us much good. Because even subconsciously, we're wearing that filter. We're wearing that mask. We are designed to survive. We are designed to self-preserve. Yeah. And so if we sense that on any level, we're not, we're not coming up. We're not stepping up. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely critical for businesses, for leaders, for entrepreneurs, really for anybody to understand how they need to show up. Where is your worth lie? What part of your story are you bringing with you to this conversation? And is it safe to do so? You know, and when we talked about how belonging starts from within, but it goes hand in hand with leadership because leadership starts from within. In some ways, this can feel like kind of a soft topic, I guess. You know, when we we use some of this language, it feels like, you know what, I can just push this off because that's that's very soft and yeah. good for you. But it does have financial returns. Is that right? Absolutely, it does. Absolutely. So when you start to look at the benefits of belonging, so I touched a little bit on physiological response, the cognitive processing, but it also increases trust, right? And when people trust people and people trust companies, they're more bought in. They embody the mission and the values of that company because they see themselves in it. This is a place for me. This is a product, a service, whatever. Like it, It's for me. I'm a part of it. When we have that passion and that drive, you know, you get into that flow, you have that purpose-driven focus. Well, what is more productivity, higher efficiency, um, you know, longer retention? What do all those things add up to? 
profitability. And it's not a stretch. There's, there is research out there that shows the direct connection between trust and profitability. And, you know, it's, it's valuable. There's long-term dividends. If we can get past the lip service and get past this superficial, you know, we, we want to support mental health in our workplace. That's fantastic, but it is more than an extra day off. It's more than a cool space with funky furniture. You know, it is really in every aspect of that environment. Um, there's a great resource actually cited it in my treatise It's called design for belonging. It is one of several published works by the Stanford D school. It is full of great information about belonging versus othering. And it actually even breaks down all of these different ways that you can design for belonging, whether it's a physical space, virtual space, and a variety of other things. Very cool. Well, we will link that in the show notes for sure. So that those who are, especially in the HR role or in leadership can check that out. Absolutely. So your thesis was focused on entrepreneurs specifically, and certainly in current times, um, many women have established themselves in that role as an entrepreneur. So what does an entrepreneur need to do to find success through belonging? I guess really what I'm asking is how do we do it? Fantastic question. And this for me is where the gold lies. Um, there is a huge takeaway in my research before we get to it, even leading up to it, it, it's specifically about female entrepreneurs is where I focused. I was currently working in the coaching space and there's just such a big difference between the way a man approaches entrepreneurship and business and a woman does. And so when starting to look at belonging specifically in this group, there was not a lot of existing research. It was really a struggle to go out there and try to find any sort of empirical research about women and belonging. And so what I did was I used a couple of scales that already existed. So when, when you're thinking about this, there are chunks of questions that already exist that have been proven to statistically demonstrate levels of belonging. And so I used two of them, uh, issued surveys and did in-depth interviews. And asked a whole bunch of different things. The really interesting piece here is that the women who had invested or participated, it doesn't have to be paid, but they had somehow gotten themselves into community or coaching or a collective of some kind had a statistically significant increase in belonging. Right. And so what this means is that it had over a point. So the scale is one to five. Um, and it was about in the two somewhere, and it was in the upper fours for those who had partici- participated in coaching um, or community in some way. So to come back to your question, for female entrepreneurs, it's really important to find a collective. That will greatly increase your belonging. It's a really difficult path. We, we've all seen the numbers, the extremely low percentages of women-owned companies that get venture capital. We've seen the closure rates. But at the same time, there's a lot of really successful women doing this, and they are supporting each other. And it's a beautiful space. But that belonging is so important because it's it's no longer isolating. You're no longer on an island. You have all of these different inputs coming at you. 
And as long as you can make sure that you stay true to who you are and what you bring to the table and you're paying that forward and you're receiving it back, it's really showing significance there to improve the way that you operate in your business. So a collective of some sort, is that just like, you know, an association, maybe volunteering? Does it have to be related to the work that you do? Or is it just involvement in some kind of collective or group? Where the research lies right now, specifically with what I looked into, there's not anything in particular. It's really just any sort of involvement with another group. And it wasn't always exclusively female groups. Um, especially in the in-depth interviews, I had a lot of women who really appreciated the male perspective and felt that it was really important. The core part of this was that it was a space where they could show up as they were. It didn't matter what the name of the group was, what the point of the group was. It was a group that said, come as you are. We know you have worth. We all have these same challenges. Let's tackle them together. I can definitely see where that would have a lot of value, um, especially when you are in the early stages and, and actually every stage of entrepreneurship. But, you know, when you feel like you're on an island to then reach out and, and hear that other people are are out there facing similar issues, even if it's a different industry or a different job role or responsibility, often we are facing similar similar trials. Your research was focused in in the entrepreneur space, but you have tools for all employees also. So those of us who are working in a corporate setting, are there some specific things that managers, leaders, team members can do to elevate themselves and their work? The answer to that question from my perspective is always yes. And that goes all the way back to the beginning of the conversation where we talked about how it starts from within. We don't have a lot of control in general, in our lives, but we do have control over ourselves. And this level of self-awareness is really important. And it's not always pleasant. Sometimes we have to take a look at the things we don't want to look at, but even those things bring value. And so what I would say is, you know, it's going to vary depending on your industry and where you are in the hierarchy for what you can do, you know, but we can all lead from within ourselves and we can do that by showing up authentically ourselves. When you do that, you grant the people around you permission to do it as well. And you don't have to have a certain title or pay grade in order to do it. Now, if you are in a position where you're managing people or you're on a leadership team, you have a lot of power here. You can speak into policies, right? You can create environments. You can determine where money is spent, where resources are spent to support people, especially if you're in the office. Clearly, if you're fully remote, this is a very different type of thing. It's a lot about opening up a space where it's not just transactional. You want to strip the soul out of somebody pretty quickly, only engage with them transactionally. Right. Right. And so not only when you do this, do you give people permission to do it? If you're in a higher rankings position, you can make it an expectation. This is how we show up. You can create the space. You know, you are in places where you can help identify in the room the voices that aren't speaking, but you know you need to hear, right? Is that calling on them in the meeting? Is it maybe that's going to make them uncomfortable? I'm going to go follow up with them afterward. Hey, I noticed that you didn't say a whole lot in that meeting, but I really value your opinion. Would, would you be willing 
to kind of, you know, talk to me about your take on what this was, create the situations. Um, and by doing this, it really starts to infiltrate because people want to be with authentic people. We are exhausted. We are so tired of having to, you know, sit on these zoom calls, business from the waist up and pajamas from the waist down. Like we want to just show up as we are. And so that would be my advice. I do think that there is a huge opportunity in businesses. So outside of entrepreneurship, depending on the size of the business for policy to support people. And we still are living in in a space in a lot of ways where we want the, the front end numbers to look good, right? But we don't take into consideration that if there's not policy and procedure in place after the fact to acknowledge how different that experience in your company is going to be depending on the type of person that you hired, they're probably not going to succeed. And we're, we're going to perpetuate some stereotypes by not really putting the effort in to creating a space where they belong. So say more about that. You you mentioned policy. What do our policies need to reflect in order to create these safe spaces of belonging? So when you look at a lot of policies, you have a gap. You have the front end policies that are about the recruiting, equal recruitment, um, equal consideration of applicants. And you have the end of the policy, which is, okay, well, this is grounds for termination, right? Where's the middle ground? What are we going to do? I have worked in environments where, you know, we've hired in people from different ethnic backgrounds. And it was as simple as, Not everyone knew how to pronounce the person's name. We take for granted that we walk into a space and someone knows how to say our name. And how do we educate people? How do we create a space? Uh, Most people are not intentionally trying to other people, but especially if you take a look at design for belonging, uh, the opposite of belonging is othering. And it's not an either or, like it's, there's no gray space. If If you don't belong, you're feeling othered. And so to me, that policy is really taking into consideration all of those components. What does it look like when you come in here? Where do you sit? What does it sound like? What does it smell like? Do you navigate your space the same way? How do people engage with you? Are there cultural differences? How do we educate people um, to support them, right? You can get I think we've done a better job at getting more granular, even looking at holidays and time off and things like that. Um, but it goes, it goes deeper than that. It really does. And it's two way. You, you can't expect to have a diverse hiring policy, bring in people into a system, into a business system that has never supported different types of people and then expect them to succeed has to be all the steps along the way. So as you're looking at the current landscape with DE and I, and B, what are you seeing? Like, are we, are we on the right path? Is what are, what shifts do we need to make? I feel like even by just continuing the conversation, we're on the right path to a degree, right? As, as long as we are continuing the conversation and trying to get better, we're on the right path. I, I start to worry a little bit that belonging is just becoming another buzzword. Uh, Mm -hmm. Because there is so much more to it, which is why I'm passionate about talking to people and sharing with them from a business perspective, the power of belonging and and why it is tacked on to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Mm -hmm. Um, And we are in a a beautiful place to really take the brain science that's happening because it is just exploding post-pandemic 
and to put it into practice. Yeah. And to create a society and a system that is people centric. And so I would just say, keep looking at it personally. Um, keep showing up as our whole selves. We may be CEOs and CMOs or managers and directors, but we're still people and we know how we want to feel and we can show up as all of those versions of us every day. We don't have to leave part at home. And when we do that, we are inherently creating belonging. Well, thank you so much. I, you know, my hope is also that we can make belonging a practical piece of our work and life and less buzzy. And so these, hopefully these conversations will help with that. Before we go, I do want to uh, ask you one thing we ask all of our guests, which is as we're carrying along our giant tote bag for work and life, what is one thing that you think all women need to have in it? This is such a beautiful question. I think we all need to carry a photo of our younger selves. As I've been on my own personal journey and have learned how to combine the personal and the professional, the inner child work is something that I wish I would have explored earlier and um, have been recently introduced to the adult chair program, Michelle Chapont. And how powerful to be able to pull out that picture of you with like the braces or the bad glasses, the funky haircut, right? But look at that version of us and the dreams that we had. We had no inhibitions, right? We were going to go do the thing and allow that version of us to just tell us, I'm blown away by you. Like, look what all you've done. Keep going. I think it's just a really powerful reminder, especially for women. When we start to get tired and strung out, we're still that kid and we're killing it. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a wonderful conversation. Well, Chelsea had some really amazing insights there, and it just makes me think about in terms of belonging um, and workplace culture is that we have such an enormous opportunity right now. Uh, We can really start from a clean slate in terms of going back to the office and, and asking ourselves, how do we really establish workplaces that have a positive work culture, a sense of belonging? ultimately to make it work better, make it work better than what we left it Mm. three years ago. Oh, so true. So true. There's so much opportunity and we know, we know a lot about it now. So no better, do better, right? Mm -hmm. So one thing to try, what should we try this month? I'm really thinking, have a conversation with your manager about your return to work. If you're finding yourself in that situation, whether there is uh, an intention, a plan, and if that's the case, then ask how to make it happen. Go ahead and get ahead of it. Love that. So Stephanie, what you got in your bag? Okay. Well, in my bag this month are writing utensils, but I'm going to be more specific. You need one Sharpie and one highlighter. <laughs> I love a good Sharpie. Yes. I mean, it's amazing the number of times when I've reached for that Sharpie because it was needed in some instance. So have a Sharpie. I also encourage you to have a highlighter because as we've discussed, leaders are readers. And Mm. there are so many times when you might need to take a note, highlight that book, highlight that agenda item, whatever it is. I find that 
one pen is not enough. You need also a Sharpie and a highlighter. I love it. All right. Well, thanks for joining us today. Be a part of the conversation and connect with us on Instagram at Soar Lead. Maybe even tag your own work BFF in the comments. Also, tell us how much you love us. Make sure to follow, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. It's truly how we grow and keep these conversations coming. Thanks for tuning in. Join us next time for another Women Who Work conversation.